everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it lessons from our living rooms or couch conversations because my offerings will be things I've learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community, to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when? And what do I do when? So that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. All right, welcome everyone. I am glad you are here and I know you will be too. I am thrilled this week to um, join, to have joined with me today, Rhoda Bangerter, who is going to be talking with us. And we we're going to start right off laughing about how Right off the bat, it's hard to find a term that neatly packages the situation that we're going to discuss today. Um, But broadly speaking, we're going to talk about families who navigate time where where they're together and one parent is far flung for work. (laughs) So comes and goes in and out of the 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 family home for work reasons. So families are living in separate countries, separate places to navigate the reality of mobile life and um, job opportunities and that kind of thing. So welcome, Rhoda, for that mouthful of, of stuff we're going to talk about. Thank you so much. I think it's actually appropriate that it's that long for this kind of <laughs> lifestyle with the complexities it brings. Maybe it's appropriate that the description is also long. <laughs> Doesn't fit in an, in an easy box. And and yeah, I mean, so so tell me a little bit about how you came to be here today. What What has you talking about this topic? Why this topic for you? Oh, boy. Well, it started because I lived it, really. And I lived it without realizing it. 
So we, um, I met my husband in 2005. He was a humanitarian. And I jumped straight into it, really. Even during the dating period, he was in different countries. So I kind of had an inkling, oh, what kind of, you know, what am I letting myself into here? But, you know, we fell in love. We got married. And then um, he started traveling again to dangerous places, um, places where there were natural disasters, war, terrorism. And... um, well, it was difficult. We had we 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 then had uh, young children, and I was not in my home country. Mm. So we and we and we were moving, right at the same time. So there were instances where we moved to New York, for example, and um, then he started work. That's very common. And you're left to unpack, find the you know the, find the place to live, get the kids settled, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and there were also times where he moved to his new location, and then I packed up, you know, got the kids, said goodbye. So I was alone for well, that time I was alone for a year. He was coming back Monday to Friday. He was going to work Monday to Friday, and then coming back at weekends. So this is also very common. Um, anyway, we lived for about. 15 years and then um he was offered the, a position in Kabul mm. and we had said we would never live in separate places because some of his colleagues uh used to do that they would go away for six months on a consultancy job and then come back for six months and live with their families and we were like no not interested <laughs> then the job in Kabul came up I had, I had, we, we had, we, we had elderly parents. Uh, so we thought, mm, maybe it's good if one of us stays back closer. You know, we were about an hour plane ride. Um, our eldest didn't want to move. So when we were talking about other moves, he wasn't happy. It's so funny because the same kid four years later, totally happy to move. Yeah. So it's just it's just different ages and stages. Yeah. Uh, the youngest one was just uh, getting used to Swiss German again, and anyway, and he he really he had been to Afghanistan before, and he had loved the country, and he had said this is a great you know opportunity for me to go be able to go back and help. And so we were like, okay. So I I by that time I trained as a coach. I'd started looking into. Um, accompanying spouses Mm. and I started realizing oh but he's traveled before so really what's the difference gonna be except that he's gonna be gone six to eight weeks instead of a few weeks at a time although there is difference in the challenges um and so that's when it started hitting me oh wait so yeah frequent business travel is a is a top stressor for accompanying spouses in the literature Mm. And um, in reality, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then we, so I started asking questions, and within three months, I think we found I don't know how many families I can't remember now, a ton, just a, three or four families that had lived this. So some like a mom I chit chatted to at church. Someone tells me, "Oh yeah, her husband commutes." Yeah. I think it was from 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 Georgia or something. Wow, I'm like 
commute. Okay, that's one way of looking at it. Long commute. Um, but th that's when I realized, oh, yeah, so people do this, people live this. And all the reasons that we had, those are the top reasons. Mm. You know, dual careers, aid, being close to aging parents, children's education, security of the country. Those, those are the top reasons people do this. And so I, I just... People, families started giving us similar advice. Mm. And, and, and they didn't know each other. The families did not know each other. But they started saying, like, you know, watch out for the time where he comes back. Because that was times where one of the couples went, they said, this, that's when we, we went to therapy. It nearly destroyed us. Mm. Um, and then also there was... My husband had said, oh, we won't come back. I won't come back for Christmas. And I'm like, what? Christmas? You're not going to come back for Christmas? And another family said to us, yeah, well, you know, that he didn't come back for Christmas. I'm like, oh, my ears, you know, <laughs> perked up. And I thought, oh, these are the same questions that we're thinking about. So anyway, that's how I got into it. And and since then, it's been an absolute ride. And, and um I just started interviewing people. How do you do this? How do I, how do we, how do we do it? Um, and so those two years I wrote my book, the Holding the Fort Abroad book, yeah. and I wanted it hot off the press as I'm living it, the issues coming up, interviewing people at the same time. And that really shaped a little bit this framework that I have now. Yeah. Um, so long answer, but that's how I got into it. And, and I started researching and, and, and the work carries on. Yeah, no. And I really appreciate that, that you're like, you don't realize what you're doing is layered and distinct and until you sit in shared spaces and you're like, well, how about that? Well, what about when they, and then the school wants you to, you know, whatever, like there are these conversations where the normalcy that other, and I'm putting that in quotes, air quotes are great in these things, the the expected things that, that you don't even realize are assumptive until they're not part of your life anymore, <laughs> until like some of the setup in the family really challenges what other people expect. And, and so I really appreciate that. You're like, nope, I just started talking to people and we had similar scenarios that were really tricky for our family and we knew why we were doing it and we knew it wasn't going to be easy but yet what what are some of the other is there like what are some of the feelings that parents often have in these situations that the parent who's holding down the fort experiences well when you're preparing for this you're thinking oh am i gonna ruin my kids mm -hmm. you know all the um i think there's all, I mean, there's the different scenarios, right? There's the frequent business travel where the partner's gone um, maybe a couple of weeks at a time or some parents are gone 70% of the year. Um, some are gone Monday to Friday. Some are gone, you know, ad hoc, which is my least favorite type of career. It's like, oh, you got on Monday. Okay, fine, you know? So... And then there are the parents who, you know, the partner who's gone for months at a time. Um, but I think the overall feeling is, am I, am I ruining, are we ruining our kids? Are we, um, are they going to lose touch with the, 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 the partner who's away? I think the partner who's away, 
I've had some fascinating conversations with 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 moms and dads who who've been away, um, and sometimes I've had the conversations where the children are already older, and they have lost touch with the child. And so I think it is a genuine concern and it is a genuine potential consequence. So that's something that really, but I've also spoken to dads where in this case, the mom said to him, like your teenage daughter, you're going to lose your relationship with her. If you don't do it now, do something now. And to his credit, he said, okay, I'll spend more time. I'll be more intentional. And they have a great relationship now. Mm. So I think there's that worry. There's the worry that the children are sad. Mm-hmm. Um, these big emotions. It's a very intense life. Um, so it's learning, I think, learning ourselves and teaching our children to manage these big emotions. And, and just to talk about them, honestly. I don't think I had anything special. I didn't have any training or anything, but I... I express my emotions and they express their emotions. Actually, some adults, you know, we always tell parents, yeah, teach your children to express their emotions, but some adults just can't handle it Yeah, when children express their emotions. Where, outside the family, I mean, right? Yeah. So I think there's, you know, just <laughs> try and keep that in mind and tell, the, tell our children, like, when you're expressing emotions, some, some adults might not be able to react in an appropriate way. Um, what other concerns? Yeah, those are biggies, really. Everything else, I think people don't realize the consequences, the the actual reality that it's going to be. Yeah. And I think to your point, what what comes up for me, a couple of things when you say that one is the intentionality that Mm. any, uh, the other thing I know is that many parents worry that they will be harming their kids with some decision that they're making or, or whatever. Right. And so what do you do if that is a fear? What do you do if there are real consequences to moving to countries you don't speak the language and changing schools seven times in 18 years? And there are con- there are implications, I like to call them. There are implications for those yes. decisions. Yes. Um, and so being intentional about how you're going to stay connected when a part of your when when your co-parent or your partner is gone how are you what is the facilitating of the relationship look like between the away partner and the kids is there a rhythm sometimes there can be a clear-cut rhythm other times there can't be a clear-cut rhythm for communication because of any number of factors so what does it look like if there if you can't have a rhythm how does the the traveling parent need to show up with intention and and it isn't the staying parent's job to manage that relationship but there are things that either help facilitate a relationship in that situation or chip away at it talk a little bit about the kinds of things that may chip away at a parent-child relationship if you're the 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 stay, if you're the in country with your kids' parent, oh, totally, totally. So, just before I launch into that, mm-hmm. there's a great model that I found that Dr. Ken Canfield. He works with with families, mostly with dads in families, but um, um, who are divorced. Uh, but he has this uh, model that's called I Can, and it's intentional or involvement, right? Consistency. 
which I kind of call continuity, because sometimes consistency in this life is not easy. Right. Um, awareness, awareness and nurturing. And those are all things that both parents can help each other with. So that the parent who's away, that can be intentional in just putting a reminder in their phone, oh, you know, double check what's going on at home <laughs> or ask for an email update or something, you know, just um, or say hello. Um, the consistency one I call continuity, continuity um, is just finding things that, that you can do when you're gone and when you're home. So one dad I met on a plane, of all places, he um, he said he was writing a book with his fifteen-year-old daughter. And so he was he would you know he would they would work on it while he was away, and they would work on it when he was home. So that's giving continuity, um, and then awareness. Whether you call every day or whether you don't call at all, knowing what's going on at home, just just getting an update. Oh, you know, Johnny has lost a tooth, or. Uh, we swapped from tennis to swimming, things like that. Um, because sometimes you can swap while the partner's away, you can swap from swimming, tennis to swimming and back again. <laughs> and the partner has completely missed out on that chapter. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's easy to see uh, how in both directions, right? Each, each adult is going to be doing where they are. Right. And so exactly it, you're in your thing. In your thing. And it and and in both cases, I think one of the setups that I've seen and you mentioned already the the returning time being a really challenging one is that often in, in our primary relationships and our marriages and relationships, often each of those partners in different ways is going to be consciously or unconsciously seeking some comfort <laughs> for the yes. hard thing that they're doing, right? Like the, right. the one away is seeking some kind of comfort and or gratitude for for working this hard, for doing, for showing up, for providing in the family while they're doing that. And then the the hold the fort partner is is wanting gratitude and comfort for managing the, you know, CEO of the family setup and and managing all of those things, both of which you know, both of these people, you know, quote, deserve comfort. And yet it can be really hard to figure out how to do that for each other when you are in the daily grind of how the other person has it easier, better, lighter, less complicated, you know, kind of a thing. Um, do you do you see that happen? I mean, when you're talking. For sure. To oh, for sure. For sure. Because it's overwhelm. Each of the partners is overwhelmed. There's a lot going on. They're, in, they're just trying to get through. And so, yes, yes, and that can lead to resentment and anger. Um, and I think, it's, so it's, I think it's really important to work on that overwhelm because reducing overwhelm in this lifestyle is difficult, you know. Um, but so, so, you know, making sure you, you broaden your network, you think creatively out of the box, not getting stuck on, you know, I need childcare, but I can't get childcare. Therefore, I'll stay in overwhelm. Well, there might be other areas <laughs> where you can reduce the load and maybe you'll still have childcare 90% of the time, but maybe there are other places you can um, reduce the load. But yeah, this, but, but I think this is where the intention comes in. If we're, if we're thinking, you know, even just 
talking about your partner mm-hmm. when they're gone. Or we used to have two clocks, one at our time, one at his time. Um, it's just bringing that emotional presence into the home of the other partner. Doesn't I don't I I, I always say like don't add to the to do list. Look how you can involve and invite your partner so that it reduces your to-do list. You know, if there's a time difference and they have time off, well, get them to do some research online for you. Hey, I'm looking for a new dentist or an orthodontist. Can you check it out for me? Well, they have potentially time off at the end of the day. That's how they contribute. So they can look online for whoever they think is best they research the person whatever you need to research that involves them so i think this i think it's about looking to reduce your load by inviting and and it and it, it's a win-win then you're invite, involving the man reducing your load so and and asking them what do you want to be involved in what can you do what can I do to to help you? What can you do to help me? We're we're a team. A lot of the families I see that make it work, it's they don't even think twice. It's like we're not under the same roof, but we're a family. We're the same team. We're all on board. Let's make this work. You know. So yeah, but chipping away at the at the relationship to come back to that question. I mean, it, it's just the distance will naturally do that mm-hmm. if you're not intentional. I think my my husband, for example, he would say like he wouldn't understand the in jokes when he came back. He felt excluded. He felt like we weren't interested in his life. We didn't ask questions. Um, we were in our bubble. Um, and and some of the parents who are at home with the children also work outside the home. So it's a lot. It is a lot. And I love it. Thank you so much that we can raise this topic today because um, I I really want to encourage any listeners who are listening to this that it's okay um that there's there's a there's a there's a lot of families living this uh and there are ways to help and alleviate the overwhelm make sure the kids are okay and um and also help with that the relationship as well between partners between parenting Yeah, because I think there's that also speaks back when I think about the relationship. And this is true, true of any family, but also especially true for families navigating these additional stressors is the idea that that your kids will be healthiest if they have connection to both parents (laughs) in their lives. Assuming I mean, this is speaking broadly, I mean, if, if there's active harm being done, that's a different there's child protective issues, that's different. But in general, as imperfect as we all are as parents, it's going to benefit your kids to maintain connection to parents, even exes who frustrate you, even, you know, like in general, that is a guiding principle for folks. And also it's an invitation for um, parents who are the ones with their kids. If you, to be again, aware of your feelings, to seek support, to not feel isolated, to recognize that they're completely valid in the situation that you're in. And if you're angry at your partner for taking that next assignment for saying yes to an additional month for that. And if that, if you are valid feelings, do you have a right to be angry? Absolutely. And how can you cope with those in a way so that you're not tossing sarcasm into the dinner table for your kids to develop further resentment, right? You want, you want the parents to be the primary team at the top 
and agreeing on how you're going to navigate some of this tough stuff. It doesn't mean you never have a right to be sad or disappointed or betrayed. It's just knowing how to identify that, finding support, finding a way as a couple to talk about those feelings so that it doesn't bleed onto your your kids and their relationship. Um, and it, I think that's a piece that is, and we're all, and let me tell you, we are all imperfect. Every one of us has ratted out the other parent for something in our lives. Like nobody does this with, you know, gleaming gold flashing perfection, it, it, yep. th- but it's an intention. It's a like, okay, I am noticing that I want to say something snarky here. There must be, yeah. somebody once said to me that sarcasm, and I'm from a very sarcastic family in New England, you know, like we use sarcasm a lot to communicate, but somebody once said to me, sarcasm is a lot of anger coming out sideways from a little hole. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is beautiful. But I think it comes from overwhelm sometimes, you know, yeah. disrespect, disrespect, but also like, hey, I'm carrying all this load already and you're adding another month to me. Yes. It's like, do you not realize how heavy this is? Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah. So it's it's expressing it, but also thinking, okay, so now I have this ton more stuff to do. I've got to carry it longer. Uh, for long distance, I, I, I compare it to a marathon. I really do. Mm. Um, but really, I should really, really, it's a long-term project as well. And with a friend of mine who's a project manager, we looked at it through the angle of project management. And it's fascinating to see like how managing a long-term project and managing a long-distance sort of placement is it's similar. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I appreciate that. You know, pacing. There's pacing. There's I'm going to give up. No, I'm, you know, right. Yeah. Like I can see there's a lot of metaphor work there for sure. Yeah. And another very common uh, occurrence and one, again, a top stressor for families is these uncertain changing dates. Oof. And it, it can really be frustrating because you like you're planning some things. Yeah, okay, you'll be back in June, and then it turns out it's not going to be June. It's going to be July, and then um, so that's what a lot of families felt difficult also, and that they're constantly in transition. You know, they're con- they're transitioning for the partner being back, then they're transitioning for the partner being away, then back again, away, back again. Oh, a surprise! They're coming back. Yeah, they're constant. There's constantly this kind of you're constantly, I wouldn't say in a fight or flight mode, but you're constantly kind of on um, on this highly aware kind of situation where you're you're constantly like, oh, he's coming, oh, she's coming back. Right, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, adjust. And, oh, they're gone, da-da-da-da, readjust. It's, you're constantly working through these adjustment phases, and that can also be something that can be tiring for these families. There and then see. you're planning a move. And you don't know what that move is going to be until months before. I mean, I have one of my closest friends in the whole wide world um, navigated the the um, the exact lifestyle you're talking about. And there are so many ways that I failed her <laughs> as, as somebody who has done that to a, a much lesser degree, way lesser um, in terms of just what do folks, what do you see people need? How do you build your village? How do you get people to understand what you might need without feeling like you're constantly 
talking about what's so hard and what's so overwhelming, mm. right? Like, how do you, mm. how do you do that? I don't, how do you do that? Cause there is no way that I could have understood some of the distinct stuff she, in, in her particular situation, she also had a husband who was in high risk situations that were unstable politically and, and just physical safety wise. And so like how to talk to your kids about that or not and what to say and, um, and just waiting for bad news. I mean, like the just just really very stressful, overwhelming things. How do you how do you build community? Like, how do you lean in? What works in terms of trying to figure out how to reduce some of that overwhelm by connecting with community or 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 helping people understand what you might need? Yeah. Well, first, I think it's telling people. You know, oh, my husband's away, um, especially if a frequent traveler. People don't always know that they're gone. Um, I think if you're not living the situation, it's normal that you don't understand it. It happens for many other things, you know, whether it's a disability or um, some difficulty someone is going through, a friend is going through. If, if you haven't lived it, it's hard to imagine what they're, what they're going through. Um I would say, you know, there's there's different levels of support. There's the emotional support, making sure you have someone that you can just vent to or cry shoulder on because your children are not your emotional support, right? Putting that on your children is a lot. Um, so, yeah, telling your children you feel sad because your partner's, you know, daddy or mommy is gone, yes. But telling them, like all your woes and all your frustrations and all your stresses no so definitely and because i think um you need that that emotional support these things are intense so intentionally getting a, a therapist um maybe because you're you know maybe you're not in a crisis situation but caretaking of your own emotional health, your own um, reactions to things, your own behaviors, because you might be putting your head in the sand and going, I don't want to hear anything <laughs> uh, because this is too stressful. Or uh, I'm compulsively watching the news. Um, and that's also not necessarily healthy. So making sure you have the emotional support, practical support. Well, everybody's different about how they ask for help. Some people find it easier than others. Also with help, sometimes people give you the help that you don't want. Sometimes it's just easier not to ask for help and do it yourself because otherwise help takes longer. Um, and so th there are there are different issues with asking for help. Uh, people get intrusive as well when you ask for help. People can sometimes get intrusive. You know, you ask for help, and next thing you know, they're judging you for the choices you've made. They're telling you, you know, well, why don't you just demand that your partner comes back? <laughs> you know, well, that's not quite what I asked you. You know, I'm asking. <laughs> so you have to be wise a little bit about who you ask for help. Um, but definitely practical help. And I, I view it like carrying, you know, if you're carrying two boxes, fine. If you're carrying 10 boxes, that's a lot for one person. Yeah. And so it's also thinking about what box you can put down, what box you can transfer to somebody else. Um, 
that kind of thing, getting creative about what kind of help you need, Um, getting the kids involved. Sometimes also when you don't really know, it's worth getting, just asking a third party and asking them like, okay, I'm overwhelmed. What do you see? Because sometimes our friends or people around us will know exactly, you know, they're like, well, that's not working for you. I can see it from here. Uh, but sometimes we're just too, we're just too involved. Yes. Uh, we just can't see what, what we're doing. That's time wasters. Uh, not because we're numbing, but just because we're, things, things are taking too long. What's taking too long in your house? Or in your day, what what just takes half your day, which shouldn't streamline that. Um, yeah, and that can be tricky too, because in some of the some of the places, <laughs> one of the things I think the biggest learnings for me, I mean, certainly things can be tricky in my home country as well, but but there are there are parts of the world where a you know, getting groceries is a five hour (laughs) event and it's a privilege when it's not right. And so that's the other thing is notice the judgment. I think you're holding of yourself in terms of like, this shouldn't, the, this shouldn't take this long. We should be able to handle it. I should be able to manage this. I used to do more than this at home. I used to do, you know, like that kind of, why am I so exhausted from less than I, you know, there's, there's really needing to recognize that there are, again, are distinct stressors about being on new ground, learning new norms. So all those things you talked about setting up a household all over again, um, that balance of trying to keep things the same for your kids while also noticing that there are big differences, um, all of that takes really skilled, intentional balancing and, and naming of things as well. So, but the, the way we talk to ourselves, I think this is a, just a, you know, I think a lot whenever I talk about this of Brene Brown wisdom kind of thing in terms of like the way we talk to ourselves about Mm. what happened this morning can so influence how the afternoon goes, right? The same exact events, but the way that we understand them, label them, uh, is just, it's so important to be gentle with yourself when there's all of this newness and uncertainty and changing, shifting ground. So what do you think are some of the strengths that people who live this life benefit from or develop as part of being there? Like what's the, what's the, what are the good things potentially (laughs) for people living? Yes. Yes. And, and, and just to, to, to bounce off what you just said, I think it's the accumulation that people don't realize. Mm. Um, they say, but I can carry each one of these boxes individually, no problem, you know, but if that accumulation suddenly when you put them all together, that's when it gets uh, bigger. And so I think, um, if you can manage the overwhelm and the transitions, put in place what you need, people then discover silver linings. Uh, because sometimes they can be overshadowed by by this. But um, so parents tell me that they're more intentional with the time spent with their kids. Because when you're home all the time, sometimes you can be emotionally absent. You can be physically there, but emotionally absent. And some parents have said to me, well, no, now we, we're much more intentional about spending time with our children when we're home. 
planning, um, fun times together. People have also said I've, it's given me time to discover myself hmm. because suddenly we're, we're apart. I have my evenings. Uh, I'm thinking, oh, what, what am I going to do? <laughs> and it's given them space or it's given them opportunity to develop whatever they wanted to, to develop, even even if it's in smaller chunks, because the time is 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 maybe compact. Um, for us personally, and I've heard it from other people too, is sometimes the couple is given us a bit of space. You get out of your ruts because um, sometimes when you've lived a long time together, you just routine. You've each developed roles that then you get stuck in. This just blows it apart, mm. and you can re-establish different roles. So that that's a silver lining, I think. Yeah, you can you can re you know rethink your couple. Um, we at a distance, and again, other couples have told me this. Um, other people have told me this about their couples. Is they um, you sometimes you can talk about deeper questions you wouldn't do face to face. But you suddenly launch into something and then you say, okay, let's let's just stop there before we argue. And then you've got two, three days or however long until the next conversation gives you time to kind of cool down, think about it, and then you're <clears throat> talking about the next day. So we 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 touched on on topics that I don't think we would have covered otherwise. <laughs> Plus you're sitting there on Zoom, you're like, oh, I might as well talk. Yeah. So <laughs> Right. I mean, that's that's the other thing, too, in terms of, yeah, love languages and way people communicate. Some people like mm. some people like chat. Some people, you know, are terrible mm. when they're not in the day to day, but are fabulous when they're the one driving the kids around. Like it, it just it just is knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses. And yeah, the team approach, I think, would right. It's all in theory, but it makes sense. Like this is where you. Mm. That's not going to be a great role for you, but you could read to so and so on Saturday, you know, kind of a thing, and like, yeah, asking for <laughs> for help around it seems really, yeah, knowing it's, it does come back to knowing how you're feeling and what you need, and figuring out where to ask for it, speaking to yourself gently about this stuff because it is real. I think mm. what I noticed in my time out of country too is there depending on where you are in the world there's a lot more family togetherness than there is in your average um suburb somewhere uh for a lot of folks like there's if you're in a part of the world where freedom of movement is is not as easy as other places and kids just can't bicycle down the friends or you know hop on like you you end up together a lot a lot more than than in other places where where kids scatter and splinter <laughs> differently and and so yeah being mindful about like it, it some folks i know look back thinking like, gosh, that was actually kind of precious that I had all yeah. my kids and there weren't 67 places for them to be on a Saturday afternoon. And even though it was frustrating for them, it was kind of distinct for our family to have that time. Mm. If, if I could go back, I would be intentional, like what I call forced family fun. <laughs> yes, but it's a family unit. Suddenly, you know, they're the only people you can hang out with. So you hang out and, and then the only people that are 
that are still there four years later when you move. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so they're the, they're the continuous friends. Um, the other thing families have told me, um, again, I think I saw it in our kids, is they, they grow up. They take on more responsibility. Mm. Um, I mean, you don't want them to grow up too much, but um, maybe becoming a bit more independent because they kind of have to, you know, which yeah. sometimes isn't a bad thing. Well, and they're also... Depending on the... And how much it is you know <laughs> that, right no there's a line there as with things there's balance right like kids learning they can trust themselves and make some decisions and take on responsibilities that's amazing kids shouldering responsibilities as the second adult in a home would not great no. that that, that no. is not something you want to set your kid up for right so to be taking no. care of you emotionally or to become the the man of the house or the woman of the house when they're you know a teenager nope like that 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 it lends, lends itself often to some residual effects later that yeah. your kids need to be But kids, kids cooking meals from time yes. to time, kids doing the laundry because, you know, we're all in this together and um, it needs to be done. And so it's, it's I think that there's, there's also benefits there. Yeah. <laughs> what would you like to, to summarize? Like, what are your thoughts as you think about I mean, resources. So your book is a great resources. Do you have any other um, podcasts or people's works, your podcast, your book? Like, tell tell us a little bit about where people who are listening can find out more about how you've laid the stuff out that you learned from living it and from talking to lots of other people about it. Yeah, well, the book, the podcast, where I interview experts, therapists, uh, you've been on my podcast, um, people who live this to have real life how do you do this how do you live this life um so that's definitely a resource i'm working on a toolbox right now nice. uh with links to all the different um resources blog posts so that it makes a little bit more sense for people um but really covering the five pillars of if you as a person your couple um parenting together um managing emergencies and managing transitions. So usually everything I post is around those five um, pillars, I call. Mm -hmm. um, and then I do individual one-on-ones. That's what I'm offering right now, six conversations. And really it's to unravel a little bit where people are at, what they're living, and just help them figure out, okay, where do you need support? What, you know, oh, what, um, what do you... What is this struggle about? What are the layers? Nice. Because sometimes it's like you might, you know, you might be going through menopause at the same oh. time as, you know, <laughs> moving and your partner's, there's a frustration there. So it's just trying to unravel the layers and saying, okay, maybe check this out with a therapist or, you know, so I'm not a therapist, um, but sometimes it's helpful People say to me, like, I don't need a therapist. I just need someone who understands this life. Yep. I don't have to explain. No, you're not going to judge me about the choices that we've made. I just need help to kind of just let it out and figure out what it is that I'm doing. And so I use my framework and I go through the different pillars and we we spend time where where the person needs. So that's that's been very helpful for people. Nice. Well, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm glad to know you're out there offering this to 
to families. And I think recognizing, again, these are distinct sets of stressors that when named and supported uh, can really lead to some pretty amazing, distinct family experiences, changed perspectives, family closeness in unexpected ways. Your kids get exposed to stuff they would never, you know, have seen in other ways. And all those are beautiful gifts to give your kids among the hardness. Um, And so it's an invitation for folks to find your people uh, watch how you talk to yourself and, and connect with the resources that helped your people float as well when the, when the currents are strong. So thank you so much Roto, for joining today and, and offering this up to the listeners and the broader community. I really appreciate it. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you for raising this, this topic. Yeah. Thank you. We'll meet again. I'm sure. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say I am so glad you joined and I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.drlaraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, and Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.